That's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. The text reads like this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would sanctify us by your word. Your word is truth. Let us settle for nothing less than what you have revealed to us. Your truth in your word. That we would resemble you. And shine for you. In a crooked and perverse generation. And we ask it Lord in your name. Amen. If you've been living under a rock for the past two weeks then you won't have heard of Daniel Halif. You remember Halif is the 21-year-old British terrorist who escaped from Wandsworth Prison. He attached himself to the bottom of a food delivery van using his bedsheets. This is Daniel Halif, not Daniel Craig. And he managed to go four days in the outside world without being caught. How? Well, it was owing in part to a change of clothes. He knew that to be taken for a free man, he had to look like a free man. Clothing and conduct go together, don't they? We continue our series in Ephesians today, and in this week's passage, Paul likens the new self that we received when we came to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He likens that new self to a set of clothes. Paul is going to say that at conversion, our old self was put off and a new self was put on. A new self created, as he puts it there in verse 24, after the likeness of God in true righteousness 
and holiness. And the point of our passage today is this. Match your walk with your wardrobe. Match your walk with your wardrobe. That is, conduct yourself in a way that corresponds to the new self. That if you have been clothed with righteousness, then walk and conduct yourself in a way that is righteous. If you have been clothed with holiness, then walk, conduct yourself in a manner that is holy. Match your walk with your wardrobe. And so far, uh, remember Paul has been telling the, the Ephesian church and the Hylakian church how we can uh, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel since chapter 4, verse 1. At the opening of uh, chapter 4, the Apostle Paul commended our unity to us. And then he moved on to commend the diversity of our gifts to us in the church. And today he has a word for us about purity. And friends, we need a word on purity this Lord's Day morning because our ministry as a church will only be as convincing as our purity. In other words, if our words and our witness don't match, then our message will be white noise. Many of you will know the really famous quote from Pastor Robert Murray McShane, who said, my people's greatest need is my holiness. And friends, the truth is, Hoylake's greatest need is our holiness. Because Hoylake won't be reached by hypocrites. And in fact, if Hoylake can see itself in us, we will be viewed as nothing more than a bunch of Muppets who like a bit of a sing-song on a Sunday morning. But if our words and our witness correspond, then our message will be taken seriously. And therefore, purity is to be the top priority for God's family. A number of years ago, the uh, journalist Matthew Paris, who is uh, an atheist, he, he wrote this in the, in the Times newspaper. He said, quote, In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. What convinced him? The church. And the people of Hoylake won't say, the rebirth is real, the change is good, unless they see changed lives in us. Talk is cheap. And before we come to our passage then, do allow me to say to those of you who are here today and are not yet believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, friend, Christianity isn't about adding something to your life. It's about getting a new life. That's what Paul is going to remind his readers of today. And that's what I have to remind us of today. Christianity, it's not about adding or incorporating a religious flavor to your world. It is about stepping into a new world altogether. It's not about sharing your heart with Jesus. It's about getting a new heart, one in which Jesus reigns supreme as its king shedding your old self and putting on a new self in Christ. And my friend, only until you can say, I feel like I've been raised from the dead. 
Only until you can say, I feel like my heart is beating for the first time. I feel like my eyes are seeing for the first time. Can you know that you have really become a Christian? With Jesus Christ, it is all or nothing. And to those of us who profess to have received that new self, again, friends, Paul Paul's command to us today is this, match your walk with your wardrobe. We're going to see first our old walk. Look at verses 17 and 19. The Apostle Paul there writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. The Gentiles, they're just referring to uh, unbelievers. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now Paul employs two strategies in those verses to have us obey his command. His command is that we would no longer walk as the Gentiles do, no longer walk as we used to do. And for the church to obey that command, Paul uses two tactics. The first was to remind the church of the authority behind his command. So he says in verse 17, now this I say and testify, here it is, in the Lord. So that yes, Paul writes, my right hand is the hand that moves the pen on this parchment paper, but this command is the Lord's command. This summons is the Lord's summons. This order is the Lord's order. Why? Because he has sent me with his message, with his authority as his apostle. And therefore, if the Ephesian church or if the Hoylakian church were to roll our eyes at this command, this order, this summons to holiness, then we are rolling our eyes at none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The call to holiness is not an option. It is a command from headquarters. But there's another tactic. Having commanded us, Paul then sought to persuade us. How did he do it? Well, by painting for us a disastrous picture of those who still walk in the way that we used to. Paul mixes the darkest colors on his palette and he paints the darkest, most blackest picture he knows how. Why? To discourage us from ever going back. And to put wind behind our back as we walk in this new way with the Lord Jesus Christ and in him. And so he says that those who continue to walk as we used to, he says, they walk in the futility of their minds. That is according to their own empty wisdom. And then he says, those who continue to walk in the way that we used to, they're darkened in their understanding. Yes, they're capable of great learning. Yes, they're capable of great scientific discoveries. Yes, among them are geniuses, but they will not come to the light of God's truth because they prefer the shadows of falsehood. And he says those who continue to walk in the way that we used to, they're alienated from the life of God. They're still dead in transgressions and sins just as we were. And therefore the result is that they live their lives at a base level of animal 
instinct, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Welcome to our world. But friends, what does Paul say is at the heart of all of that disastrous description? What's at the heart of the unbelievers' futile minds, the darkened understanding, the alienation from the life of God, the life of sensuality, the greed for every kind of impurity? Answer the heart. Look at verse 18 again, due to their hardness of heart. And it's fascinating in the original language, the word for hardness there was actually sometimes used all those years ago by physicians. And so physicians would use it to describe the process of calcification. Someone said this, the calcification that forms around broken bones and becomes harder than the bone itself. It was also used of the hard formations that sometimes occur in joints and cause them to become immobile. Sin, this author writes, has a petrifying effect. And the heart of the person who continually chooses to sin becomes hardened and paralyzed to spiritual truth, utterly insensitive to the things of God. And yes, Paul is going to say, we have been gloriously delivered. From all of that miserable description that he provides there in verses 17 to 19. Praise God that our our minds are no longer soldered to futility. Because we've been given the mind of Christ. Praise God that our understanding is no longer darkened. Because the light of the glory of God has shone into ourselves. Praise God that we're no longer alienated from the life of God. Because as Paul told us back in chapter 2. According to his great love he raised us up with Christ. And seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. Yes and amen to all of that. But although we have been delivered from the power of those things. We have not yet been delivered from the presence of those things and therefore as we pilgrim through this barren land we must always remember that we are in danger we are always in danger of reverting always in danger of walking the way we used to that's why Paul thought it necessary to say you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do friend are you aware of the sin that still looks within you are you aware of the reality that sin is crouching at the door even as i preach to you in this moment are you aware of the fact that sin is hiding in the shadows of your soul and my friend if you don't think it is you are the most vulnerable person in this room listen to me do not underestimate the potential of the indwelling sin within you. Don't underestimate the muscle memory in your feet to walk the way they once did. Your feet well remember how they once walked. We are all prone to wonder. We are all prone to leave the God that we love. It's why Paul said to the Corinthian church, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And what he said to them, he says to us, And the residue of your past love affair with sin stays in our hearts like petrol. One spark of worldliness is all it takes for the whole thing to go up in flames. We were shocked, weren't we, recently to see many of those images coming back to us from 
that island in Hawaii. Uh, you've got their homes and streets and a whole and neighborhoods just reduced to ashes and burnt to a crisp. What was to blame? What started it all? A bunch of telephone wires. And friends, the point is that something can appear harmless and yet do incalculable damage. Friend, let me ask you this. What tempts you to walk as you used to? Is it a circle of friends? Is it one particularly close friend that you actually shouldn't be that close to? Is it a a Netflix series? Is it a social media platform? Is it even your job? What is it for you? I remember a friend of mine, he he got back from a a youth camp one year. And uh, in the middle of the night, his eyes just opened wide. He sat bolt right up in his bed. And he just knew instinctively exactly what he had to do. He had to gather all of his CDs. I'll explain to you young people what those are in a few minutes after the service. But he had to gather all of his CDs of the music written by unbelievers. And he had to toss them in the wheelie bin outside. Why? Is it because listening to music written by unbelievers is sinful? No. It's because it was for him. And it had such a hold on his heart that in order for him to walk in the new self, he had to part ways with what corresponded to his old self. And friends, for our walk to match our wardrobe. We too, we have to walk away from everything that's associated with our old self. And I know some of you would say, Hugh, that's just impossible in the world in which we live. But friend, actually it isn't. Because if you're a born again believer, you are filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit enables your, and empowers your obedience. And maybe you're here today and you're not yet a believer, but you're, you're starting to come to the realization that all is not well with your soul. And as you, you hear this description of unbelievers in verses 17 to 19, it sounds like somebody's been walking in your soul and is here airing your dirty laundry in front of a church. And there's this gnawing sense of concern that something needs to change. Friends, if that's you here today, what Paul has to say next to us will speak directly to you. Listen to what he has to say. He wants a word with you. And he wants to point out how the old self can go and how the new self can come. But friend, do let me just say to this, your greatest need in life is not a softened heart. Your greatest need in life is a new heart. And in the verses that follow, again, Paul is going to tell the Ephesian church how they got their new self, how they got their new heart. So listen to what he has to say. So we thought about our old walk, but second, we're going to see our new wardrobe. Our new wardrobe. Look at verse 20. Paul writes, But that, and that being the way that you you used to walk, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so having wonders of walking according to our old self, here Paul helps us to understand our new self. 
what our new self is like. And how we came to obtain this new self. Again, Paul will go on next week and he's going to give us concrete examples of what it looks like to walk in the manner of our, of our new self. He's going to put his finger on attitudes and habits and, and, and behaviors that correspond with our, our new selves. But here Paul tells us what our new self is like and how we came to receive it. What is our new self like as believers? Well, verse 24, it's created after the likeness of God in true holiness, uh, in true righteousness and holiness. Because again, friend, when you became a Christian, you didn't simply add a slice of religiosity to the plate of your life. You got a new life altogether. You received a new self, a new identity. That when Jesus went to that cross on that Good Friday, he wore your unrighteousness that he might clothe you with his righteousness. And he wore your unholiness that he might cover you in his garment of holiness. And it was the greatest exchange that there has ever been. It's why the Apostle Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And why he said in the same book, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And at the most fundamental level, that is who you are as a believer. The righteousness of Christ. And the old has gone and the new have come. Friend, you have died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God's. And the life that you do now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. And that's your new self and that's your new identity and that's who you are. But what made us receive that new self? Paul says here, the truth of Christ. When the truth of Christ invaded your mind, everything in your life changed. Let's just put all the pieces together for a moment here. Paul had say, said earlier, he said, listen church, you used to walk in the futility of your minds. But he says here in verse 20, you learned Christ. And, and what did you learn? Well, you learned that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you learned that as Lord, he has a claim on your life. And he made you. And he fashioned the world beneath your feet. And therefore, since Jesus made you and made the world in which you live, he's Lord. And it dawned on you that up until that point in your life, you'd lived as an enemy of Christ. And you were cut to the heart. And having seen the hideous nature of your past and the beauty of Jesus Christ, you threw off your old self like it was a, a maggot-infested garment that stank of vomit. And you put on the new self in true righteousness and holiness. A garment right out of heaven's wardrobe. And Paul said earlier that you used to be darkened in your understanding. But he says here in verse 21, you learned Christ. He doesn't say as all of the English translations have it, including our own, you heard about Christ. No, he says you heard Christ himself, that inside the voice of the person who led you to Jesus was another voice. And inside of his accent was another accent, a northern Galilean accent. 
And he beckoned you and said to you, Arise, O sleeper. And when you arose out of your sleeping slumber, Christ shone on you. Right into your darkened mind. Paul had said earlier that you used to be alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in you. But then he says in verse 21 here, We were taught in Christ. And therefore Christ wasn't just the substance of what we learned Christ wasn't even the one that we heard, but Christ was even the very atmosphere in which we learned him. And again, that is when everything changed. So again, Paul says, listen, match your walk with your wardrobe. If that's what you received in the new self, like a garment, conduct yourself in like manner. Think about it, a soldier in uniform is expected to defend his, his country. A judge in wig and gown is expected to uphold justice. A firefighter in full protective gear is expected to rescue the endangered. And friends, since we have been clothed in true righteousness and holiness, we are to walk in a way that is righteous and holy as well. And again, Paul's gonna show us next week what that looks like. But before we get there, and before we come to our passage next week, allow me to commend one way in which we can grow into our new righteous and holy selves. And friends, here it is, by beholding the righteous and holy one every day. Because if you want to become, you must behold. If you want to grow, you must gaze. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 3.18? He said, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So that yes, there is a place for discipline. And yes, there is a place for ordering our lives. Paul says, I, I, I beat my body and I, I keep it under control. But becoming more like Christ necessitates beholding Christ. And growing into our righteous and holy selves necessitates gazing at the righteous and the holy one. And how can we do that really practically? Well, friends, practically be in the Gospels every day. You know, some years ago, there was a, a pastor who, who went to pastor a, a church and he, he prepared for his uh, first Sunday morning, and he preached his first sermon the, the best he knew how. And uh, he stood at the back of the church, and he began to shake people's hands as they made their way out. And the church was encouraged, and they shook his hand, and they said, oh, Pastor, that great word. Thank you so much. Really encouraged. And then the next Sunday rolled around, and uh, he preached the exact same sermon again, word for word. Uh, it was still the honeymoon period, so they still shook his hand, but with lines of confusion beginning to form on their foreheads, and they sort of tried to ignore it, and they walked out. And then the next Sunday came, and he did the exact same thing, preached the exact same sermon, word for word the same, so that a few bold souls asked him, Pastor, why do you keep preaching the same sermon over and over again? And he said to them, I'll preach new sermons when you've put the first sermon into practice. 
And you know what? I realize that I've commended this habit of being in the Gospels every day before. But friend, have you tried that? Or or, or do you just hear that as a, a nice idea that sort of floats into one of your ears and then floats out the other end? As if this part in the sermon is just designed to take up a little bit of space so that the sermon isn't that short. Friend, why not try being in the Gospels every day, becoming by beholding, growing by gazing? And let me just say, I understand how uncomfortable that can be because when we're in the Gospels every day, we are looking into the blazing fire of the holiness of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and our flesh doesn't like it. And there's resistance sometimes. But friends, let me say this, even when the finger of Sinai itself that engraved the Ten Commandments on stone puts itself in your chest, there is a cross for us to fall before. And we can look up and we can say, the blood has already been shed. An atonement has already been made. And we can look up and we can see from his head, his hands and feet, sorrow and love flow mingle down. And we can say he went there for a failure like me. And my sin has now been replaced with his righteousness. And my iniquity has been replaced by his holiness. And my curse has now been made his blessing. And he went there to bear my judgment and to take the wrath of God into himself in order for the smile of God to be on me. And we can confess our sins, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But to speak one more time to those of you who are unbelievers here today, friend, be assured that you too are becoming whatever it is that you're beholding as well. Because my friend, you are cherishing something And you are prizing something. You are esteeming something. You are beholding something in your life. And whatever that thing is will mean that you will die with it in the end. Only Jesus could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only Jesus can say, I am the resurrection of the life. And he who believes in me will not die. And therefore, friend, if you can hear Jesus' voice within my voice, and if you can hear Jesus' accent within my accent, then obey his call, shed the old self, and put on the new self. Part ways with whatever has gone before, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his righteousness and holiness, and devote the rest of your life to matching your walk with your wardrobe. Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray for us and we'll come to worship together again. Father, we thank you so much that we've been clothed in a righteousness not our own. Uh, that, Lord, if we were to wear a, a righteousness that corresponds with our pretended righteousness and obedience of humility, we would be ashamed before you but how we thank you that we've been clothed in an alien righteousness, the righteousness of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And therefore, Lord, we pray that you would enable us to to match our conduct, match our walk with the wardrobe that we've received from him. 
And that, Lord, our lives would give you praise as we reflect the Lord Jesus Christ to the dying world. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand to our feet and let's respond in a, in a song of, of praise. Let's pray.